Around the world, the last great message of the Creator is being carried with the mighty power of His enabling Spirit. Millions in Russia, America, Africa, Australia, and 200 other countries are saying yes to Christ, where the people once languished in the valley of the shadow of death. The light of the everlasting gospel is now shining. John and Beverly Carter, whose calling has led them to minister in many countries, now invite you to join them for an exciting hour of discovery. As the Word of God brings hope in despair, light in darkness, meaning in confusion, joy in sorrow, and life in death. Hello, dear friend. Thanks for joining us today. We have a marvelous message coming up in just a few moments. But firstly, something from my heart to your heart. Now, Southern California, as everybody knows, is famous for Disneyland. Now, this is a telecast that is going right across this great land of the United States of America, up there into Canada, down into the Caribbean, even down into Latin America. And so I'm talking to an audience largely that doesn't live here in Southern California. But some of you are going to be coming to Southern California for a vacation. So the next time you come for a vacation to Disneyland or some other place here in Southern California, come visit me. Come visit my church because I'm not just an evangelist. Most people think that I'm just an evangelist. But first and foremost, I'm a church pastor. And you'll find me next Sabbath morning with my church. And I want you to, you to come and be part of my congregation next Saturday morning at 10.45 a.m. Now, here's the address. 333 East Colorado, Glendale, California. You can take the 134 or the 5, and we're just a few blocks from those major freeways. Come and hear the Word of God. There's power in the Word of God. Jesus said, I want you to come apart and rest a while. One great theologian, St. Augustine, said, Our souls were made for God, and they cannot rest until they rest in Him. Come and get divine rest for human restlessness. Join me next Saturday morning at the Community Adventist Fellowship at 333 East Colorado, Glendale, California. Come apart before you come apart. God bless you. A little boy caught in some mischief, as only little boys can be, was asked by his mother, how do you expect to get into heaven? He thought a minute and then said, well, I'll just run in and out of the doors and keep slamming them until someone says, for heaven's sake, come in or stay out and then I'll go in. <laughs> I think the little boy's theology needs a little bit of cleaning up, don't you? Heaven, it's a good thing to talk about heaven. C.S. Lewis wrote, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. The Bible tells us that heaven is a wonderful place. A son went home to see his father who didn't have long to live. His father asked him to read his favorite Bible passage, John 14. In my father's house are many mansions, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
Ah, said the son, I understand why this is your favorite verse. No, replied the father, that's not the best. Read on. Jesus said, I will come back to take you home to live with me. That's it, cried the old man. The main reason I want to go to heaven is because Jesus will be there. Secondly, Christians believe that heaven is a very beautiful place. There are still numerous picturesque spots in this old world. North America is an incredibly beautiful continent, but nothing here compares with heaven. A little girl taking an evening walk with her father looked up at the stars and exclaimed, Oh, Daddy, if this side of heaven looks so beautiful, what must the other side be like? I first heard about heaven as a young girl in the Baptist church. I didn't fully understand all about it, but it gave me a lot of encouragement. I grew up with an alcoholic father. He joined the Air Force in the Second World War as a very young man and, like so many others, started drinking to obliterate the pain of war. By the time he came home, he was addicted to the demon alcohol. He was never a violent man. He never hit my mother, nor myself, or my four younger siblings. But like most, if not all children, from homes of addiction, we were left with some scars, some of them permanent. As I grew older and learnt more about heaven and how Jesus made it all possible for us, my heart was filled with gratitude. For the past seven years, I have had a serious health problem. For seven long years, every day has been a challenge, and the only way I've gotten through it is by God's grace. And I can testify that his grace is still sufficient, and also because of the loving support of my husband and our three children and dear friends that have been praying. Some people think we should never share our burdens, but I believe there is a time and a place as long as we always tell how God has sustained us. This is how we encourage each other. While the Bible clearly teaches that God uses pain and trials to disciple and purify us, these past seven years have taught me two other very valuable lessons. Number one, trials and troubles give God the opportunity to demonstrate his power and his promise to sustain us. And number two, God works through trials and suffering to make us think about heaven. As my aunt Minnie used to say, when things are going good here on earth, we want to stay here. It's only when things and times go wrong that we think about heaven and how precious it is. I'd like to speak for a moment to those watching this telecast. Perhaps you've come from a home of addiction, whether it's alcohol, some other drugs, or even gambling, and you'd like someone to pray for you. Please just email me at the address on the screen or write to me at the Carter Report, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Dear friends, this life is not always painless or trouble-free, but our journey can be joyful and comfortable if we keep the earth under our feet and heaven in our eye. Most of you have heard or read the article, Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus, even though there isn't. It is fictitious. Today I've entitled this sermon, 
Yes, Virginia, there is a heaven. Because while Santa Claus is a myth, heaven is indeed a reality. My message today is this, the dead will live again in a beautiful, real heaven. One of the greatest theologians of our time was the great Paul Tillich. He was a very liberal theologian and uh, he reasoned himself out of all of the basic beliefs in Christianity. He was asked to give a talk at a Baptist convention, at least it was at a secular university. They invited in a bunch of Baptist contributors and they invited out Paul Tillich. He lectured them for two and a half hours. He quoted the scholars and the philosophers why Jesus did not even exist and therefore there was no such thing as a resurrection. He quoted uh, this philosopher and that philosopher and after two and a half hours he turned to the audience and he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, are there any questions? Nobody said a word. The silence was deafening until an old black Baptist preacher with white wavy hair stood up, said, Dr. Tillich, uh, yes. He said, uh, and he took out of his bag, he took out of his bag like this one, an apple. There was the great Dr. Tillich, the world famous theologian, he was this poor old black preacher from somewhere in the south. And the old black preacher took a bite of the apple, crunch. He said, I got here an apple. He said, yes, so I noticed. He said, crunching through this apple. He said, I've been listening to you. He said, I don't know any of the great philosophers that you have mentioned today who tell us that Jesus did not live. He said, I, I can't read the Bible in the ancient Hebrew or in the ancient Greek. But he chomp, chomp, chomp. And soon the apple was gone down the tube. Then he said, my question, Dr. Tillich, is this. Is or was my apple sweet or sour? Well said the great philosopher. My man, he said, I cannot tell because I haven't tasted that apple of yours. And the old black preacher said, that's right, Dr. Tillich, and you haven't tasted my Jesus. Amen. Of course, the place exploded. Amen. Hallelujahs. I want to say, unless you've tasted my Jesus, then you have no idea of spiritual realities. And today, by the grace of God, I want you to come into the presence of God and taste my Jesus. There is a fundamental question that we must ask honestly in our search for the historical Jesus. You know, there's a book, there was a book written many years ago entitled, Who Wrote It? You know, the great man from Germany, you wrote to him, he wrote you back. He was a great missionary, Albert Schweitzer. Beverly 
had a little correspondence with him. He wrote a book entitled The Search for the Historical Jesus because basically the viewpoint of the liberal theologian is this. It doesn't matter whether he existed or not as long as you simply have faith in him. That, of course, is to go below, below the line of despair because that is to have faith in simply faith. I'm not here today to talk about faith in a lie or faith in a delusion. I'm here today to tell you that there is serious, historical, archaeological evidence why we should believe in the Bible. You see, the question that we should ask as we go on the search for the historical Jesus is this. Is this book true? Is it an authentic historical document or is it just the poor, fallible, erring writings of a bunch of superstitious, ignorant Bedouins? Let's get rid of all the religious palaver today and all the hot air and all the, all the talking. If this book is not true, my friend, then nothing really matters. How do we know that this book is true? How do we know that there was an historical Jesus? I want to give you today my own personal testimony. I did not always believe as I believe today. It has been my privilege over the years to go to the vast archaeological sites, a vast number of them, all the great archaeological sites of the ancient world. I've been to virtually all of them. Old Babylonia, Assyria, Persia, most of the archaeological sites up and down the Nile, all through Israel, back and forth to the Acropolis and all of those places. And I've gone there to ask and to ponder the question, are these sites that are mentioned in the Bible in harmony with the discoveries of archaeologists? I wish to bear testimony today to the fact that I have seen overwhelming evidence why the Bible is true. You see, I don't believe the Bible because I was brought up to believe the Bible. I believe the Bible because mine eyes have seen the glory. I have seen it. I do not have faith in faith. I have faith in reality. And therefore I believe in the Bible. There is overwhelming evidence that Jesus lived among us. And there is overwhelming evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I believe I believe not because I'm paid to believe. Somebody has said to me, if all of a sudden you discovered it was not true, what would you do? Well, I wouldn't believe. I wouldn't believe. I believe because I am forced, I hope, as an honest thinker to believe the evidence and to know that the Bible is true and that there is a God in heaven and that Jesus is a person. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles today and I want you to notice some of the miracles that happened when Jesus was here some 2,000 years ago. And if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to these texts. This is a Bible reading church. And when you come into this church, you'll find that for your convenience and your spiritual edification, we have placed 
Bibles in the pews. They're not there just by coincidence, not there just to look at. They are there because Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, would you please turn to John chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 11 and verse 1 and onwards. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And the Bible goes on and tells the story that Lazarus sickened even worse, and then Lazarus died. And by the time Jesus got there, Lazarus had been dead for a number of days. In fact, the Bible tells you it is four days. Verse 11, after he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. I want to make this very, very plain today. You can't say the Bible is a great book unless you really believe it. You can't say the Bible is a great book and Jesus is a great person if they told lies. We live today in an age of liars, in, particularly in the political scene. Maybe that reflects society. But you can't say people are good people, or writings are good writings, if they're full of lies. And people are liars. Now either this story is true, or it is false. Either Jesus is the Son of God, or else he is a madman. Because if somebody comes to you and says, I'm a prophet or I am the son of God, you will say, if you have any understanding at all, that person is crazy. I've had people come into this church on one occasion, some time back, I had a man come to this church, very nicely dressed. I said, here, we have a wonderful new church member. He said to me, I've been listening to you on radio and I've enjoyed the program so much and I've come because I have some questions. I said, what is your name? He said, I'm Elijah the prophet. Oh, which Elijah? I'm the prophet that's mentioned in Malachi. You spoke about him the other night and you said he was going to come back. Well, I thought I'd come and introduce you. Well, I never told him, but that man is just, just crazy, isn't he? What do you think? You think he is? Of course not. That man is crazy. He is suffering from a mental disorder. Now, if a person comes into church and says, I am the son of God and my father is in heaven and I was with my father from all eternity. If a person says that to you, he is completely crazy or else he is Jesus. Now, Jesus made astounding 
claims Jesus said before the world was, I am, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus claimed to be Jehovah, he claimed to be Yahweh Elohim. And then he got around him a little group of disciples. And these men were not television evangelists, thank God. They were not people who were always talking religion. They were not pious theologians. They were fishermen. They earned their living working. That's a new experience for some people. These were men who were fishermen and they earned, and one was a tax collector. The point I'm trying to make is that these were just ordinary people called by the Lord and they wrote down these stories. Did they really believe these stories? You better believe it because most of them died rather than deny these stories. A person doesn't die for something which is a fraud. You don't die for something that you do not have faith in. But these men died. They were tortured because of their beliefs. So here is compelling reason why these stories have to be taken seriously. I believe these stories. And so here is a man by the name of Lazarus. He sickens, he dies, and Jesus comes there. And by the time he gets there, he has been dead for four days. I say, either believe this or not believe this. But if you believe this, your life cannot be the same again. Now, please read on with me. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And then verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And so they go to the tomb. Martha and Mary are both now at the tomb. And a group of Jews, professional wailers. And when Jesus comes to the tomb and he hears the wailing, Jesus starts to cry. And they say, how, how he loved him. And then they come to this tomb. And the tomb has got a great stone at the mouth of the tomb, as, as was the custom in those days. And Jesus comes to the tomb and he says, take away the stone. And uh, the girls, the, the Martha and Mary, they say, Lord, uh, don't do this. There will be a stench. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. I want to say to the people watching on television, I want to say to the audience today, if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. But I want to tell you what the problem with most of us is, we don't believe. We never see anything great happen in our lives. We never see anything great happen in the church. We never see the great outpouring of the Spirit of God because we only believe in a very superficial way. And so we don't see much in our lives and most of us go through lives, our lives touching very few people and when we're dead, it makes no difference. We're hardly missed. That is because we do not believe. If you will believe today, you will see the glory of God. A person says to me, I will believe when I see the glory. Then you will never believe, my friend. And you will never do anything great for God. And you will never step out by faith. Why do you think we're buying this church? Because we are doing it for the glory of God. Is the path clear before us? No, the path is very dark. If we were to wait like some of you have been waiting, 
then nothing would happen because you do not have faith. We must have faith and then we will see the glory of God. We are not like that state, the show me state. What is it? Missouri or Missouri as they call it. Show me, then I'll see. But the Christian says, I will believe and then I will see the glory of God. So they come to a tomb and the man has been in it for four days and the body smells. So he's dead. Don't think he's not dead. He's dead. He's dead. And already he is turning back to dust. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. But then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And verse 43, when he'd said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes, let him go. Now either you're going to sit here today in church and say, oh yes, so what? You can't say so what if it is the truth. If it is not the truth, we shouldn't be sitting here in church. We are all deluded and Christ is a humbug. But if, if these stories are true and there is overwhelming evidence why Paul Tillich was wrong and the black man was right. There is overwhelming evidence why you can taste this Jesus. There is overwhelming evidence why a person can build his faith on evidence. Away with this nonsensical, superficial, idiotic idea that faith must be built upon nonsense and faith is built upon faith. And so I meet people who say, oh, I don't care whether it's true or not. I just have faith. Hey, that's a type of lunacy. I like the Russian general who came to my meetings and he said, this man is not talking religion, he is talking science. He is giving us evidence. Faith must rest on evidence. Don't you have evidence why you can believe? I ask you today, therefore put your faith into practice. Be not unbelieving, but believe and you will see the glory of God. You think of it, here's a man, he's smelling, he's decaying, he's been in the tomb for four days, just visualize it, and they roll away the stone. They can smell him. I don't say this to offend you, but so that you'll understand the earthiness and the reality of the situation. And Jesus goes to the tomb and says, Lazarus come out. One skeptic said, why didn't he just cry, come out? Why did he mention him by name? A man said, because if Jesus had not mentioned him by name specifically, every dead person would have come out of their tombs. That's why. And there was a stirring in the tomb and the man who was dead heard the voice of the Son of God and he walked out of the tomb and they had to take off the grave clothes. Jesus said, let him go. I want to invite you today to taste this Jesus and to taste this reality 
the apple was real and Jesus is a million times more real than any apple. I want you to know it today. I want you to know it today. There are many, many stories that are told in the Bible. There's a story that is told, I was reading it last night, of a little girl who died. I want you to notice this story. My friends, I want you to know this is the truth. It is the truth. Where is your faith? What are you doing with your faith? Come over here with me, please, to Luke uh, 7, verse 11 and onwards. Luke chapter 7 and verse 11 and onwards. Dear hearts and gentle people, Luke chapter 7 and verse 11 and onwards. Luke chapter 7, verse 11 and onwards. Have you got this text? Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Always get a large crowd that'll go along with you if you're feeding them or if you're doing miracles. And so Jesus went to this town and there were a lot of hangers on. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son, now this, I'll talk about the girl in a moment. The only son of his mother and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin. Those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Here is a lady whose husband has died and she's got one boy left and the boy dies and Jesus gets to the town and Jesus runs into the funeral procession. Could you imagine if Jesus were here today and he met a funeral procession on the way to Forest Lawn going out on the 101 well, Jesus met a funeral procession and Jesus said, hey, stop. And Jesus went over to this young man and Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the young man heard the voice of the Son of God and he got up and Jesus said, here, here's your boy back. The day is going to come when Jesus is going to go to the tomb and he's going to say, young man, arise. And he's going to take that young man to the mother and say, here is your boy. I want to tell you, if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. Would you come over here to Mark chapter 5? Mark chapter 5, Matthew, Mark. Mark chapter 5, turn to every text. Now, if you're in this church for the first time, if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. But if you keep coming to this church... Bring your Bibles. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, 
but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Koum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old and they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Here is a little girl and she's only 12 years of age. And Jesus goes in and all the people are wailing and making a commotion. And Jesus goes over and says, little girl, wake up. Little girls and little boys, even though dead, can hear the voice of Jesus. And yet, the greatest resurrection was not that of Lazarus or the young man, Oh, this little 12-year-old girl, even though they were extraordinary miracles. The greatest miracle was the resurrection of himself. Some theologians in their stupidity have said that he wasn't dead. He was simply wounded and they took him down and he revived with the help of the disciples. But he was dead because when they came to break the legs of the criminals, they came also to break his legs and found that he was dead. And so the soldier took a sword, a spear rather, and thrust it into his side and there came out blood and water. And the disciple wrote, I've written these things so that you will believe. And then the historical document tells us that he was taken down and embalmed on Friday afternoon, wrapped in the clothes of a dead man, like a mummy, and placed in the tomb. And because of the threats of the Jewish leaders, the tomb was sealed by the Roman soldiers, stamped with the seal. And then the Roman governor said, take a guard of soldiers and stand around the tomb. He is in the tomb and he will stay in the tomb. And the historical record says that on the third day, according to Bible reckoning, an angel came down from heaven and there was an earthquake and Jesus walked out of the tomb alive. And the Roman soldiers saw him and they fell to the ground like dead men. Therefore, I say to you today, in the words of the master, he is alive. You see, when the people came to look in the tomb, when those godly women and Peter and John came to the tomb, they were confronted by a young man dressed in shining white. He was an angel. And the angel said, I know that you've come to see him, but don't grieve any longer. He is not here. He is risen as he told you. 
Now don't come to me with the pious twaddle and say, this is a nice story and it was written about a good man and written by good men about a very good man, but they were all deluded. If they were deluded, then don't trust them. And don't believe in him because he is the greatest crook the world has ever seen because he made these extraordinary claims. But if what he said is true, and if the words of scripture are true, then I invite you today to taste my Jesus. And no longer be faithless, but believing. And then you know, of course, Mary, the ex, the ex-prostitute, came to the tomb. And he was not there. It was early in the morning and there was mist upon the ground. And Mary stood at the tomb and her eyes were filled with hot salty tears that coursed down her face. And a person who is crying cannot see clearly. So often we cannot see reality because of the tears of our grief. And remember this. A person who is weeping cannot always see clearly because of human sorrow. And Mary loved the Lord. She loved Jesus. He had done everything for her. He had redeemed her. He had given her back herself and a million times more. And she stood at the tomb weeping while the mist was heavy upon the ground and her eyes were filled with hot, salty tears and then she heard a voice Mary and the Bible says supposing him to be the gardener she said if you have taken him away tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away myself what faith from this girl even though nobody else can carry him I will carry my Lord she said and he said, Mary, in the old tender way that she knew, Mary, nobody said her name like the Lord did, Mary, Mary. And she cried out, Rabboni, Master, she saw him. She recognized him not by her eyes, but by her ears. Because in the resurrection, our loved ones will be our loved ones and they will have the same idiosyncrasies and distinctive characteristics, though refined and ennobled by the grace of God. Mary. And she fell at his feet and held on to his feet, the feet that she had kissed with, her own lips, the feet that had been covered with her tears because she was the one who seized his feet. She was the one who heard the words of the Pharisee. If he knew what sort of woman she was, he would not allow her to touch him, but he knew only too well. But he had redeemed her, a lost and condemned creature, and now she falls at his feet and she holds on to him and he says, Mary, 
Don't detain me any longer. I'm on my way to my father's house. I'm on my way to my father's house. And Mary, I will see you again. Either this story is true or it is not true. I say, my friend, it is true. If it is true, no longer be faithless but believing we are dealing with the God of impossible situations. The God who can raise the dead. The God who can cure cancer. The God who can cleanse the leper. And the God who can raise the dead. Therefore, I say to you, would you taste my Jesus? I say, death is not a problem with God. Oh, the hopelessness and the absurdity of that viewpoint that teaches that man was made for oblivion. One believing Christian philosopher, and there are a handful, spoke about a vast machine. He said, could you imagine it? A vast machine many miles long, manned by hundreds of thousands of scientists and brilliant people, and they're making a product. They take years to make the product. Scientists work with their minds to do it the very best way. And when the product is made after years, it is ground up into oblivion. And the machine continues, everybody working, preparing a product for oblivion. People say, our minds rebel against the absurdity of the situation. My mind rebels against the absurdity of the situation that man was made for annihilation. We were made for fellowship with God. The universe was created for life. There is amazing design in the universe. There is a master plan. It is a moral universe. We were not made for oblivion. We were made for heaven. And I want to say now a few words about heaven. Death is not the end. Cancer is not the victor. There is life after death. Jesus said, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those that have done good to everlasting life, those that have done evil to everlasting damnation. But there is Life. And the Apostle Paul said, these are wonderful words. He said, the trumpet will sound. Think of it. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed. For this mortal must put on immortality and this corruptible must put on incorruption so when this mortal has put on immortality and this corruptible shall have put on incorruption then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your sting O grave where is your victory cancer is not the victor heart disease is not the victor Death is not the victor. Christ is. 
the trumpet will sound. The cemeteries will empty. Anna, whom I buried in the dead of winter in Russia, with the ice and the snow and the howling cold, bitter winds, Anna, whose body was laid to rest in a cardboard coffin, will hear the trumpet. And Jesus will come and say to this young mother, Anna, wake up. Here's little Anna. Here's the other little baby. Either you're going to believe this or you're not. If you don't believe it, you choose hopelessness and despair and everything irrational. I tell you, there is a heaven. This forest lawn here, Los Angeles is going to have some rumblings. Alicia, Mrs. Caracas is going to come out. My dad over there in Brisbane is going to hear the trumpet. You'll hear the trumpet. There is a heaven. There's a perfect world coming. Perfect health. The Bible says he'll wipe away all tears from their eyes. We won't need doctors or nurses or dentists or psychologists or a health care plan. For the former things have passed away. There will be no hospitals, no cemeteries, no drugs, no sickness. You won't have to take your medication in the morning. If you suffer from depression, you'll never have depression again. If your body is being ravaged with cancer, you won't remember it. There'll be a perfect environment, a new world full of beauty. Yesterday, because I wanted to get a break from the grind, I went for a walk in the hills above Thousand Oaks. What a day it was, 70 degrees, the midst of winter, balmy day. As I climbed up the mountain, I was talking to people that I would see, saying, good morning, hello. And I spoke to some people, and they spoke with a funny accent. Boy, I thought, they're from England. Not like Australians, we don't have a funny accent, but these English people have got a funny accent. So I stopped, I said, you are from England? Yes, they said. Are you staying here in California? Yes, for a little while. I said, I guess you must be missing that wonderful weather in England right now. <laughs> We're blessed here in Southern California. One day the whole world is going to have a Southern California climate. It's going to be green, lush, no pollution. We're going to have a perfect companionship. Our loved ones are going to be there. Mary and Martha are going to be there. Families are going to be there. It's going to be a perfect duration. It's never going to come to an end. You won't be saying, I've only got so many more years, I really got to get to. No, it's going to be a perfect duration and perfect occupations. The Bible says they're going to build houses, 
plant vineyards. They're going to be real people. That's what we're told in the book of Isaiah. They're going to do real things. We're going to have perfect love. No wars. Perfect peace. Perfect contentment. And perfect satisfaction. And it's not free at all. You say, I was told all I got to do is ask. No, there's a lot more to it than that. It's not free. It costs a tremendous amount. It costs the life of God's own son. Don't say it's a free gift. God had to become a man and come under the curse of the wrath of God to purchase our salvation. He went through hell so you and I could go to heaven. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So you and I would never have to say those words. So you and I would never be forsaken. For the guilt of our sins, the nails drove in when him they crucified. No, it's not free. It's not painless. It cost the treasury of heaven. But if you accept Jesus, it's free to you. It's free to you. If you come to Jesus in true faith and believe with all your heart and give him your heart today, heaven for you is a certainty. What better text is there than the old text that Jesus said? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes shall not perish but of everlasting life. Whoever believes in him. Some say it's too simple. Ah, my friend, salvation is for those who believe. I ask you today, will you taste my Jesus? Listen to this. I wish I could sing it for you, but uh, if you ask me, I would. But I will. There's a hymn that's based on these words. Think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven of taking hold of a hand and finding it God's hand, of breathing a new air and finding it celestial air, of feeling invigorated and finding it immortality, of passing from storm and tempest to an unbroken calm, of waking up and finding it home. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Would you kneel down, please?
Now, Father, we just want to thank you today for the inspiration of the scriptures. So many in this world who have wandered in unbelief and darkness have discovered that we have hewn out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water and they don't satisfy. And people around the world are coming back to faith in God and in his word. We thank you for overwhelming evidence that enables us to build faith, not upon faith, but faith upon hard, solid evidence that a man can see if he will only open his eyes. And today we confess to you that we believe. We believe the Bible. We believe these words. We believe the story of these miracles. We believe that Jesus lived, loved, and died, and rose from the dead, and is coming back in power and great glory. There is a heaven, a perfect place with a perfect environment, with a perfect people, redeemed from the curse of sin, redeemed from the grave. Help us, every one of us, to recognize today that every time our heart beats, it's a drumbeat announcing our own deaths. Help us to know, whether it's a long time or a short time, we must walk down the valley of the shadow. But the most important thing, teach us our Father, is to know Christ. Because if we have Christ, we cannot lose everlasting life. Even if our bodies are racked with pain, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, nothing can take from that soul everlasting life if that person is in Christ. Our Father, we want to be in Christ today. As we're praying with our heads bowed, our eyes closed in the presence of God, how many will raise a hand and say, I choose Christ, I choose his word, and I choose everlasting life. Lift up your hand today. Every person who is moved upon by the Spirit of God, choose Christ today. In the babble of this world, listen to his voice and choose this Christ. God bless you today. Our Father, we choose Christ today. And in this church today, we have tasted Jesus. We worship you, we bless you, we thank you, and we praise you that yes, Virginia, yes, Mary, yes, Tom, yes, Martha, yes, Javier, yes, Hector, there is a heaven. Thank you, dear Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, friend. Thanks for joining us today. Do you ever feel that life is just too hard? Do you ever feel that the pressures are just too overwhelming that just going to collapse? You can't endure this much longer. We all feel this way on occasions. And that's why Jesus said, come apart and rest a while. That's why Jesus gave us the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day when we can lay aside the pressures and the burdens and those things that seem to be tearing us apart 
little bit by little bit so we can come apart and become renewed again by the power of God. And so I want to invite you today to come apart before you come apart. Come and join me next Saturday morning for worship and the study of the Word of God. You know, friend, I believe and millions of other people believe the same, that this book, the Word of God, has the solution to every one of our human dilemmas, every one of our problems. And that's why Jesus said, come and worship me and hear the Word of God. And therefore, today, because I'm the pastor of the Community Adventist Fellowship, I want to invite you to come and join me next Saturday morning at 10.45 a.m. Come and be part of the worship service. And we worship every Saturday mornings at the Community Adventist Fellowship, and we meet at 333 East Colorado, Glendale, California. Let me give it to you again. We meet at the Community Adventist Fellowship, 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale, California. Come and be renewed by the power of the Word of God. I'll be looking for you next Saturday morning.